Hey, good morning, you all. So that's kind of weak. Good morning. Hey, that's great. That's great. Okay, raise your hand if you want this plane landing in your town. That was the tweet uh, from Steve Cortez on August 17, 2021. So uh, Steve Cortez, I don't really know who he was. He's a kind of a conservative Newsmax host, former Trump advisor. And his, his tweet, the insinuation was, absolutely not. No way do we want this plane. Well, that's really hot. This, is, this mic's working. Uh, no way we want this plane landing in our, in our town. That was the intent of his, his uh, tweet. So uh, Manhattan Regional Airport can't even accommodate this plane, so don't worry. Um, but yeah, the idea is, yeah. I mean, that what's happening in Afghanistan is, is chaotic. Uh, it's, it's intense. Um, but finally, we have something that has united the world. You know, there's pretty much agreement that this withdrawal from Afghanistan has been terrible. So hey, we've been talking about our divided world, but now we finally have something Maybe that is, is kind of uniting us. So I didn't see too many hands. That's okay. Uh, so we've been in this series called Radical Jesus, uh, where we're trying to address our divided world. So here at Tallgrass at the Well, we hope to be equal opportunity offenders. Uh, and we feel like Jesus was sort of that way as well. Uh, part of the feedback last week from Josh, uh, Josh Sider's sermon on vaccination and the law of love was someone shared that they were appropriately disappointed. I think that particular person wanted a strong push to go get vaccinated. So they were appropriately disappointed, which it seems like that's kind of the way of Jesus a lot with people he interacts with. Um, we're, so we're thinking about getting shirts, tall grass at the well, appropriately disappointed. <laughs> it's kind of like that Midwestern mediocrity kind of thing, you know? Second best coffee in Kansas City. I love that. You know, we're not amazing, but we're good enough. Um, and Josh also, Pastor Josh also got feedback from two, two guys that I know are on kind of different sides of that, the spectrum that he presented on vaccinations and, and COVID and how we approach that. And so that was really good to get positive feedback from both sides. So uh, this, this morning, we are going to talk about refugees and your story. So that each of these topics, there's so much complexity, so much that we could dive deep into. So we're going to focus our discussion primarily on, on refugees as we continue to raise the heat in this sermon series. So if you have questions or concerns, of course, you can email Josh Siders, josh.siders at thewellmhk.com. Now, I kind of say that jokingly uh, because as I've really studied and prepared and thought about this topic and this sermon for this morning, I, I actually don't think the heat is raised in a controversial way. I think the heat is raised on are our head, hands, and hearts going to be moved to compassion to take action, even in our backyard, uh, in our neighborhoods, even now. So I think last week's topic was, a, was even tougher to, to tackle. So um, I'm going to invite you all to stand to your feet. So we have a, a passage that we've, we're wanting to memorize, a verse does anyone have that verse committed to memory before I put it up here and we quote it together? Any bold soul want to just quote that verse? Who's got it? Anyone remember? Isaiah 48. The grass withers, the flowers fades, but the word of our Lord God will stand forever. Okay, that was kind of weak. I'm sorry. I messed it up too. Let's, let's quote it together. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So with that, you can have a seat. So we're wanting to root ourselves in the word of God as we uh, tackle difficult, controversial topics that are, that are right in our face culturally these days. So we're wanting to go for that. And as, as Josh and I were talking about this sermon series, he said, it's either going to go great, people are going to be engaged, and it's really going to help them in their faith, or it's going to go terrible and, and blow up tall grass at the well. After the first couple of weeks, though, I think it's going well. I think people want to lean in. They want to think deeply about what does the Word of God say, and how did Jesus live, and how can we follow his lead as we tackle these difficult topics? 
So our key passage this morning is Leviticus 19, verses 33 to 34. So the context of, of Leviticus, it's, it's, it's the law. So we're in the middle of the law here. So if you think about the Ten Commandments, when, when uh, God delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, right, and they became refugees themselves, uh, in Exodus 20, verse 2, he says to them, I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt. I brought you out of the house of slavery. That's how he begins the law. Therefore, live in this way. That right there, and what we're going to learn this morning, is pre-incarnate Jesus gospel language, where God does for the people of God what they could never do for themselves. And therefore, because of God's great action, what he has already done, therefore, this is how you should live in light of that. So here's Leviticus 19, 33 to 34. When a stranger, could be foreigner, could be exile, could be alien, any, any of those translations or um, words will work. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So let me pray for us. Father, thanks again for the morning. Thanks for all who are gathered here. I thank you for your great deliverance uh, for each of us. I pray that you'd help us to, to feel the feeling of being a refugee because that's truly who we are. We are those who are, have been delivered out of a darkness and are now in, a, in this, this dry and weary land, not yet our full home pray that we could feel that and that our hearts would be moved to compassion and action for those who are refugees as defined even um, very specifically and physically today. I pray for any who are here who don't yet know Christ and maybe they're, um, they're here asking questions and trying to figure some things out. I pray that, that they would be drawn to yourself through your son and would begin to experience new life in Christ, freedom in Christ, maybe even for the first time. Father, guide our time together this morning. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 So we're going to talk refugees and your story. Your story, my story. So quick definition of a refugee. A person who's been forced to leave their country in order to escape war, persecution, or natural disaster. Now, an immigrant is someone who's just trying to get to a different place for a little bit better life. So there can be blurred lines at what point... Is it, are you technically a refugee versus an immigrant? You know, because people are trying to get somewhere. It's because they're leaving something behind, right? But we're going to focus on refugees this morning, specifically because of what's gone on in Afghanistan recently. And we're not even going to really touch on what's happening in Haiti and, and the southern border there. So a little bit deeper definition of refugee, more technical. According to the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, under U.S. law, a refugee is someone who is located outside the U.S., is of special humanitarian concern to the United States, and they demonstrate they were persecuted or fear persecution due to race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or membership in a particular social group. They're not yet firmly resettled in another country, and they are admissible to the United States. And then the legal definition goes on to say, a refugee does not include anyone who ordered, incited, assisted, or otherwise participated in the persecution of any person on account of race, religion, nationality, membership, particular social group, or political opinion. So, um, refugees, there's a lot of them. Last uh, stat I saw, um, this is a little bit out of my order here, it's about 80 million refugees 82.4 million forcibly displaced people in the world at the end of 2020, according to the UN High Commissioner of Refugees. Um, oh, sorry, of which more than a quarter of those are refugees. So those are forcibly displaced people. So a quarter of 82.4 million are refugees. And that number has doubled since 2010, higher now than it's ever been before. So now we can guess, what, is that number going to go up or go down in the future? I'm, I'm not sure. So our passage, there we go. 
So first of all, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, when you find someone in your land who is not like you, uh, so this could be a refugee, it could be an immigrant, it could be someone of a different background, just anyone who's not like you, first of all, do them no wrong. Why does God need to say that? Well, because we have a tendency to do harm to people that are unlike us. So xenophobia is a very real thing, the fear of the foreigner. You, know, you have a phobia of someone who is unlike you. So that's first of all. First of all, before you do all the good stuff, don't do wrong to those who are unlike you. And it says, you, you shall treat the sojourner who sojourns with you as the native among you. So if you find someone in your midst who is very different than you, no matter what their background, no matter how they are a stranger, you are to treat them as if they're a native, as if they're part of your family, as if they're part of your nation, if you will. And you shall love him as yourself. Why? Because you yourselves were strangers once in the land of Egypt. And we're like, well, we never were. But yet we are identified with the people of God. We have our own enslavement from which Christ has freed us. So this resonates, should resonate deeply with us. Love God, love yourself, love your neighbor as you love yourself, as you care for yourself, as you care for your family. That is how we are to relate to the stranger we find in our midst. So neighbor, yeah, your neighbor, when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, remember the lawyer put him to the test and tried to, to define that narrowly. So just exactly who is my neighbor? Jesus blew up his category, put his finger on the hatred he had in his heart towards the Samaritans and said, that's who you need to love. The person who comes to mind who might be the furthest from your, your heart and mind of someone you want to love, that is your neighbor who you need to love. So before we keep going, I want to just um, address a couple concerns maybe that people have as we, as we talk about the idea of refugees or even immigrants. So this is from a book called Seeking Refuge on the Shores of the Global Refugee Crisis. And this, this book came out in 2016. And so in chapter four, um, it deals with, uh, chapter four is called No Fear and Love, Grappling with Genuine Concerns Over Refugee Resettlement. So there are genuine concerns that we need to address. And I'll just talk about a couple of them from, from this book. And there's, there's others out there. But the first concern is, well, aren't they a drain on our already struggling economy? So a quote in this book, while many Americans believe that refugees and immigrants more broadly are a drain on the economy, economists almost universally reach a different conclusion. So I'd encourage you, take your concerns, allow, allow God to remind you of your refugee status having come from darkness into light, and then bring your concerns into reality and address them with, with real data. And so there's this and other resources I get to you. We won't take a lot of time to unpack that further. Except to say, there are so many jobs available right now. So I, there's all sorts of restaurants that I want to go eat at that are trying to hire workers. So I'm like, we need workers to work at those restaurants so I can go eat over the lunch hour. Right? Yes. So, and I, I had read uh, in this book, they highlight Iowa was specifically looking for more workers to, to work some of their industries. And I've read even just recently that they're kind of saying, we actually could use some help, some labor in the, in the fields and things. So, so I think we can put that, that concern to rest. And you, you can dig into it. It's a legitimate concern. The other concern is, but they want to kill us, Right? And that's from this book. That's, that's, that's what they say. But they want to kill us. So uh, a guy named Leith Anderson, he's president of the National Association of Evangelicals. He says, of course we want to keep terrorists out of our country. Of course. But let's not punish the victims of ISIS for the sins of ISIS. Or pick your totalitarian regime. Let's not punish the victims of those regimes uh, for the sins of those regimes. So another quote from here. So in reality, the U.S. government does a thorough job of vetting those being considered for resettlement. So this is kind of how it goes. After an initial screening, in most cases, by the U.N. High Commissioner for Refugees, 
Every individual being considered for resettlement in the U.S. is subject to a lengthy vetting process, coordinated effort between the U.S. Departments of State, Homeland Security, and Defense, as well as the FBI and the National Counterterrorism Center. People are highly vetted before they come into our country. Usually takes at least 18 months, often much longer, multiple in-person interviews, interviews with third persons to verify the potential refugees' claims, biometric background checks, fingerprints, retina scans, comparison with databases of criminals and suspected terrorists, a medical exam only after being cleared through this process is an airplane ticket purchased for a refugee to be admitted to the U.S. I wish they'd do half of that stuff for people in my neighborhood. It's okay to laugh. I mean, I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek, slightly sarcastic, your chance of being killed by a refugee terrorist in the U.S. is 1 in 3.64 billion, according to a 2016 um, study that was done. You know your chances of being killed by a shark? 1 in 3.7 million. Okay? So 1 in 3.64 billion versus a shark. Now, has anyone go, gone swimming in the ocean willingly recently? I mean, or in your lifetime? I have. So I think you're, if, you, if your hand's not up, your chances of getting killed by a shark, I think, goes down. We're in the middle of Kansas. <laughs> you have a much higher risk of being killed by a cow, especially here in Kansas, than a shark or a refugee. But I don't, I don't hear anyone saying, get rid of the cows, except for some vegetarians and vegans and uh, people concerned about water consumption. Different talk. Dave's giving that talk later. Now, we could spend a lot of time researching our statistics about our chances of, of dying, but some of the highest ways that we die is heart disease and cancer. So let's address that. Let's focus our efforts and energies on eating healthy and exercising, right? Or mental health issues, which we'll talk about on, on Halloween, actually, mental health things. So no, refugees, immigrants, international students, we're not going to die by them. There is risk, yes. There's risk that someone opens those doors and does a mass shooting this morning. We, we face risk every time we step out of the doors, right? But we, as this, the chapter is called, no fear in love. We are sons and daughters of the King of Kings on mission to represent Jesus. So fear is not what should drive our uh, interaction with the world. By the way, you know, God created everybody in his image. And then he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. So the earth is filled with all of these people, many of whom don't know their creator God, don't even have access to hear the gospel. And here we are. We have resources, not just physical resources, spiritual resources to offer hope and hurting to a, a dark world. So let's, let's find something um, tangible to sink our, our teeth into when we think about actual uh, immigration principles, immigration and refugee principles. So this is from um, an organization called Evangelical Immigration Table. Now, the, the word evangelical itself is getting a bad rap these days. We'll see if, if that word can be reclaimed and, and redeemed or not. So kind of a side topic there as well. But this is from the Evangelical Immigration Table. And so their statement, you can actually go on their website and sign these principles. And I just stumbled upon this uh, a week and a half ago. Our national immigration laws, this is what they say, have created a moral, economic, and political crisis in America. Initiatives to remedy this crisis have led to polarization and name-calling in which opponents have misrepresented each other's positions as open borders and amnesty versus deportations of millions. Do you guys feel that misrepresentation of the extremes in media, all the things we talk about? This false choice has led to an unacceptable political stalemate at the federal level at a tragic human cost. Like, as we sit here in the comfort of this space, it's a little bit warm up here, maybe it's a little chilly out there, I know. But we have comfort, right? We are here, there are lives being lost globally, right? Right now, we urge our nation's leaders to work together with the American people to pass immigration reform that embodies these key principles and that will make our nation proud. 
will make our nation, we as Americans, proud, let alone we as those who represent Jesus Christ in this dark and hurting world. So here they are. As evangelical Christian leaders, we call for a bipartisan solution on immigration that does the following, respects the God-given dignity of every single person, protects the unity of the immediate family, respects the rule of law, guarantees secure national borders, ensures fairness to taxpayers, and establishes a path toward legal status and or citizenship for those who qualify and who wish to become permanent residents. We need to make progress and traction on these issues if we care about humans and we care about God's mission in the world. So throughout um, the scriptures, especially in the Psalms, it talks about taking refuge in God. Over and over again, take refuge in God. The only way to take refuge in something is if you feel like you need refuge, right? Can, can, think of a time when you, you have felt, oh my goodness, I am unsafe. I am facing harm right now. I must take refuge. Uh, one of the times that came to mind was the first 14er. Yes, I'm talking 14ers again. 14,000 foot mountain in Colorado. The mountains are perpetually calling. Yes. I was hiking Beerstadt and I was trying to cross the Sawtooth to Evans. And a blizzard opened up and we were scrambling looking for a place to take refuge. Somewhere to take shelter from the storm. Somewhere where we would be safe. By the way, my, my friend, brother over here, Paxton, this last week accomplished the Sawtooth and got to Evans. And I'm super jealous. But has there been a time where you have sought refuge? Do you need to be reminded of, of where you've come from? And, and to dig a little deeper that God is in fact your refuge. Throughout Psalms, all, all over the place. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The Lord is my rock. He is my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock. I take refuge in him. So God is our refuge, which means we need to be in touch with the feeling of being a refugee, seeking refuge. Jesus himself was a refugee. Think about his story when Jesus walked the earth. So here, God is talking to the people of, of Israel, and he's saying, you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. But we read uh, the story of Jesus, remember, where persecution hit, and everyone in his generation, all the male boys, were going to be slaughtered. And it took divine interaction from Jesus, or from God, the Father, to give Joseph a dream and to show up as the way maker to send them actually to Egypt. So he was a refugee from, from Israel down to Egypt, actually. Now think about Jesus. He was two years old or younger, I believe, at that time. Um, I think. I think we have that detail. But what kind of, of stress did he carry in his body from that experience? Think about He experienced life as a refugee. And without the divine intervention of God the Father on his behalf, he would have been slaughtered at that moment. So Jesus himself can very much resonate with this. Actually, a refugee from Israel down to Egypt, and then he came back, right? So Jesus can empathize with the refugee, and he can empathize with us, no matter what we're coming from and being, needing saved from. There's a passage in uh, Romans 15, verse 7, and this is Paul talking to the, the Jews and the uh, Gentiles in Rome, the church in Rome. And so there's a lot of animosity between Jew and Gentile, right? I mean, the, the world has always been polarized. It's not a new thing to American society. And then Paul says to them, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So because you've received welcome, that's the gospel, 
In the, in the blood of Christ, you have received welcome into the family of God. We'll celebrate that here in a little bit in the Lord's Supper. Therefore, in light of that, you are to welcome one another. In fact, uh, the, the list of uh, um, uh, character for leaders in the church in 1 Timothy 2 includes hospitality to the foreigner. So the word hospitable here, I think Josh pointed this out in his talk on hospitality, is uh, philo-xenon, which is the opposite of xenophobia. This is philo, like filio, like Philadelphia. Love, love of the foreigner. So Christian leaders, whoever takes a microphone and is, is, is sharing on behalf of God, they have to be those who love the foreigner. That is a requirement. So if you ever hear rhetoric coming from any Christian leader and it's not that, then they, that's, that's means of disqualification from leadership. This is a big deal. Another passage I want to highlight. There we go. So in Colossians 4, um, Paul tells the church in Colossae, yeah, Colossae, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, and pray also for us that God would open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. So Paul says, pray all the time for doors to open for the gospel to go forward. And he's saying that from prison. So his story is pretty cool because eventually people are being brought to him and nothing stops the word of God's advance. In our case, some would say, keep people out all the while. Some of those same people are praying fervently for opportunities to boldly declare the mystery of Christ which is the gospel, the good news of Jesus, freedom, life in Christ is for anyone, everywhere, at all times. Do you see the irony? You can't pray on one hand, Lord, open up doors for, for us to share the gospel. And then on the other hand say, close it all down. We don't want interaction with those people. God is answering the prayer. God, what was intended for evil, often God will use for good. I have no doubt that God is breaking open uh, many in the Islamic world through all sorts of humanitarian crises. And we get to be a part of that. That could be part of our legacy as we think about Path Forward. I want to share one quick story. This is my friend uh, Saad. He's from Pakistan with his brother Sermid. So Saad's on the right, Sermid is on the left. And uh, Saad's a great guy. Got to know him really, really well. He's a, a, an Islamic guy. Pretty secular, though. He never tried to kill me, not even once. It was pretty cool. Good relationship. Um, that was a joke, too, by the way. So I, I, was, I worked for the Navigators for, for uh, a couple years, and then I uh, raised funds to work with international students at New Hope Church years ago. And uh, I took Saad to one of the churches, the church that funded me the most, both individually and corporately. And I took him to a Sunday school class. The Sunday school class was called the Crusaders, right? So we're walking in. It's the Crusaders Sunday school class. So I bring my friend Saad up from Pakistan, who's a Muslim guy, and I say to, to the, the class, there's probably 30, 40 people who are, you know, funding my ministry. I say, what do you think goes on in Saad's mind when he walks in and your Sunday school class is called the Crusaders? Do you guys remember the Crusades? Did anyone need help on the history? It's like when the Christians, you know, fought the Muslims in war. So I was like, maybe y'all could have changed the name of your Sunday school class like 730 years ago. <laughs> so uh, anyone involved with Campus Crew, by the way? So they finally changed their name 10 years ago from Campus Crusade. They're like, oh, maybe we should change that. We're trying to take the gospel to the Islamic world. They shorten it to Campus Crew right? So, um, yeah. I, Maris was a crusader. I was a navigator. As they say, navigators are never daters unless they date a crusader. That's our story. We're sticking to it. Okay. So, I think you get the idea. This kind of sentiment, this, this wartime mentality is still, it's still there. Now, if we're going to use that kind of language, we need to always define that our enemy is never flesh and blood. It's always spiritual uh, forces of evil, right? So we need to make that clear. 
Okay, real quick, and just just a couple helpful things. In Titus 3.14, Paul says, let people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help, especially cases of urgent need. So we need to be preparing so that when a plane lands at Manhattan Regional Airport, we are ready to go and help with cases of urgent need, which we'll have opportunity for. Cut a little bit here. So again, I'll ask, raise your hand. It's moving forward too quick. Raise your hand if you want this plane landing in your town. I see a few more hands. I see that hand there. I'll pray for you. I see that hand. Very good. Okay. So Jesus feeds the 5,000 in Matthew 14. Remember what the disciples said to Jesus. Send them away. That's what they said. Remember what Jesus said to them? You feed them. That's the way of Jesus. And he has the abundance to do it. And he has the abundance to do it. So I'm going to have my uh, brother, my friend, uh, fellow elder from Tallgrass Church, is going to come up and share a little bit about um, his ministry and organization he's worked for, the Orphan Helpers. I need you all to stand, though. Can't let this go by. Right before Leviticus 19.33. So this is biblical. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man. Ron Goodman. You know, can't remember much. So I am excited to be here with you. We've really enjoyed coming as the tall grass. Did I not get it on? Check. The green light. Close. All right. Swallow it like singers. Okay. I'm looking forward to being with you very much. And we've really been thrilled as uh, the tall grass church with this uh, better together journey that we've had with the well. And uh, I've had this privilege of sharing a little bit more at Tallgrass about the work that I'm doing with the mission organization. For the last 10 years, I've been part of Orphan Helpers, uh, working in Central America. And the reason I'm sharing today is to talk a little bit, to put a human face on some of those coming from uh, Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras who are coming here, uh, not necessarily as refugees, though in some senses they are escaping violence and, and, and are desperate but certainly coming as uh, illegal immigrants to our southern border. We want to talk just a little bit about who these people are. I'm going to share quickly about our mission, just try to run through this real fast because our time is short. Our mission goes where really very few choose to go. Uh, That is to the juvenile prisons of Central America. And we started working with orphans, government orphanages, but the governments have pretty well gotten out of the residential care business And so our work morphed over time to work almost uh, 99% now, 95% with juvenile prisons. And yet we're kind of excited about that because we have seen such an amazing work of God uh, in these prisons as we've taken the gospel to not only young people who've committed crimes uh, of ordinary nature, but those who come uh, to the MS-13 and 18th Street gang prisons who have often committed very violent crimes for murder and and who mostly, many have committed extortion. We are seeing God work in amazing ways, and I just want you to think a little bit about who these people are that we're working with. What we do is that we work with um, uh, staff who go into the prisons every day. The government allows us to be their partners. Our staff go in and They get to know kids, they share devotions, they invite them to participate in some of our programs and eventually are able to lead a large number of these young people in prison to Christ and to bring changes to their lives. And after they are released from prison, we have staff who follow them as success coaches to help guide them back into community life. And we have a work for success program, which is helping with education and job training uh, and also uh, entrepreneurial type businesses. We serve in these countries that I've mentioned. Uh, We serve in El Salvador and Honduras, and we are starting this year in Guatemala soon. 
we are in five juvenile prisons in uh, Honduras. There are, there is in each country, well, five in Honduras, four in El Salvador, and in each country there is a male a prison for non-gang members, a male prison for members from the MS-13 gang, and one for those from the 18th Street gang. And then there is a women's prison that has both. And actually in Honduras they have two for the 18th Street, separating the more violent members of the gang from, from less violent members. We, um, we believe uh, every youth has a future worth fighting for, and that's why we're in Central America. That's why we're in these prisons. Uh, when, if I were to take you down on the trip, which is a lot of what my role has been in the past, before the pandemic, uh, we would take you into some of these prisons, and at first you might be a little bit shocked and even frightened because you would see some of these gang members who are heavily tattooed from head to toe. Uh, you would be glared at uh, and stared at by some of these young people, and you would have heard enough stories about gang violence to be legitimately concerned. But by the time you would leave, you would understand that these are human beings that God loves and that you would find a heart for because they have faced only desperate situations. These young men and women come from extreme poverty, from the slums of Central America almost entirely. They come from broken homes. They've often not had a parent or if they've had a parent, uh, it's usually the mom who's working, trying to support her family, and the kids are pretty much on their own. There aren't enough schools. Uh, there is a culture of violence. Many young people grow up uh, sometimes under their bed at night, listening to the gunfire of rival gangs outside, uh, wondering if they're going to be the next victim, or soon they find that the gangs come alongside and threaten them at 11 or 12 years old to do a certain extortion act for them, and if they don't, they will rape their sister or kill their parent. And so they're often coerced into the gangs that they don't necessarily want to be in, or they join the gangs because they have nobody else that really cares for them and feel like this is a place to belong. However, when they are given an opportunity to do something with their lives besides crime, many of them will choose that opportunity. When they are genuinely loved and cared for, and they meet the love of God through Christians, workers, and staff that we have working in these prisons courageously and boldly, they respond. In the last five years since we started our success academies where we teach new life in Christ and life skills, we've had over 900 youth graduate in these nine prisons. In some prisons, we've had 60 to up to even 90 and 100% of the inmates take our courses. And we've baptized over 300 just in the last few years, and many others who have renewed their faith to Christ or who sometimes don't accept Christ but come back to us later after they're out of prison and make that commitment to Christ to change their lives. It is exciting to see a young person who has no chance, no opportunity in life to do anything meaningful to suddenly begin to have an opportunity and to take advantage of it and to change their lives. So our hope is for the hopeless, for those who are found in Christ. And we believe this is exactly where God wants us. I think the uh, baptism story tells a lot. Uh, these young people are off, uh, these baptisms all take place in the prisons. And for a member of a gang to do this, it's like a, rite of, a ritual of passage to leave the gang and they know that after they accept Christ publicly in front of their peers, they will be harassed by their fellow uh, inmates. They'll have their mattresses taken away, their food taken away, they'll be pushed and threatened. But they do it because they believe this is their hope and this is their chance. This is their opportunity for a genuine life and for eternal life as well. We believe that every youth has a future worth fighting for. We don't just help these young people by introducing them to Christ and maybe giving them some food or help in emergency situations, but we want to give them what Ben talked about. We want to give them dignity, God-given dignity, that they are God's children, that they have a life and a purpose. The idea that you have value and you can work and earn income and provide for your family and have a family in an honest way is a new way of thinking for these young people. So we do provide them job training, job skills, and entrepreneurship education. Most of these people don't want to leave their culture, and that's something that we need to understand. The Haitians that are coming would not want to leave Haitia if they could stay, if they had any chance for a meaningful life. 
the ones who are coming from our Central American countries, we know want to stay. They love their culture, and I love their culture. There are times I thought, man, I, I could enjoy living here myself because it's such a vibrant and alive and warm and caring culture. But because of poverty and high unemployment, because of the threat of violence, people are leaving and coming to the United States illegally. We had a staff couple that we brought to the United States to speak at one of our fundraisers, and they got a visa, and then they came back later and stayed illegally, which we did not approve because we are not going to support breaking the law. But I understood because they had a teenager son who was starting to be recruited into the gangs. They felt to stay, their son would die in gang violence. Most of these young people don't live much past 20 in these youth gangs. Would I have done the same? Very likely, even though it wasn't legal. We have another young man who came as a DACA child because his mother was here illegally, and he's working in Green Bay, Wisconsin as an as a auto mechanic, has his own business. He's married, has children. He goes to a juvenile prison every Sunday afternoon giving back what he has received from us and from God. So what we, we do, job training, education, we do family counseling to help these youth get back into their families. As we mentioned, we have these success academies in the centers where we give them a thorough training in the Bible. I would say that most of these young people have far more biblical education through the success academy than our youth receive in the, in the North American churches. And that's kind of sad that we don't have a better opportunity to really teach and disciple uh, as we should. And much of our youth work has become entertainment-oriented in the American church and not really discipleship-oriented. Not always, but there is too much of that. Our success coaches have a true calling to come alongside our staff and to help them in any way that they can. I want to quit just for youth real quickly. Andy is a chef. This is a gang member uh, who graduated from our success academy, and he just graduated from the Pan American Academy of Culinary Arts. Uh, he has been cooking for uh, all kinds of events. He recently received probation release from the judge, and the judge had him come and cook a meal for all the workers at the judicial center. He was so impressed with him. Amen. And he's giving back. He loves serving because Christ has changed his life. Hillary, Hillary is a law student now. Her dad left when she was young. Her mom struggled with substance abuse, and for three generations, the family had been involved in illegal gang activities. After Hillary ended up in prison, she, she met our teachers and learned about Jesus. She accepted Christ and her life changed. She's now out of prison and is a mother herself. And she and her husband and child are determined to change the course of their family life. And through our scholarship program, she has started her studies to become a lawyer, wanting to help in social services. Jonathan is a social work student because of his mother's mental illness who was unable to care for her children, Jonathan spent much of his childhood living on the streets, homeless. Entangled in street life, he became involved in crime and ended up in prison for four years. Again, met Christ through our ministry. He is now studying social work and has two and a half years left to get his degree. His desire is to be a social worker and work for a ministry, giving back what he has received. Nilsson <laughs> makes some beautiful pizzas. Uh, when Nilsson goes, uh, I haven't tasted them yet. I hope they taste as good as they look. They sure look good. Uh, he planned to go back to the streets when he left prison. He had not accepted Christ. And when he got there, I mean, he, he wasn't a Christian when he came, and he thought he'd go back to his old life. But there he met Christ in prison. And often we hear our young people say the best thing that happened to them was going to prison because there they found true freedom while they're incarcerated. Orphan Helpers was able to help him out when he was released with a stove and some basic cooking uh, utensils, and he's doing very well. We have another young man who's making pizzas similarly out of his home. We bought him a refrigerator so he could, his food wouldn't spoil and he wouldn't have to go to the store every day. And his grandmother, who was in her 80s, had never had a refrigerator in her little shack that she lived in. These are just four of the hundreds we're working with, but what I want you to see is who they are. I want you to see their heart, their face. I want you to understand that many of these young people you see on TV coming to the southern border and many of the families that are coming and those who send their children unaccompanied are only doing so because they are absolutely desperate. They want their child to have a better life than what they have. 
They don't want their child to die in a gang war. They don't want their child to starve to death. And so they're willing, if they can't afford to go themselves, to pay for their child to go illegally to try to get into the country. Hard for us to understand. We, I can't even imagine making that decision to send my child away, to be that desperate. But many of them are. It's heartbreaking to see the images of children coming alone across our border. Many of our southern border, most of the people who've been coming in the past years come from Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras, because these are the poorest countries of Central America. Now we're seeing it from Haiti, and I understand some of those folks have worked for a year to get to the States. And there's no easy answer, and Ben has laid that out well. We want it to be legal, we want to do it right, but we want to have compassion. And when Christians forget to be compassionate for desperate people, we're not fulfilling the law of God. I'm reminded in the Old Testament that when the prophets spoke to Israel, they did not condemn Israel for not having enough worship services and prayer. In fact, Isaiah and Amos both said, you can multiply your prayers, you can have more and more solemn assemblies, but because you neglect the widow and the orphan and the stranger, your hands are full of bloodshed. This is the call of Christ. This is who we are to be, the people of compassion and love. I'm thankful. I've pastored churches for 42 years in the States, and this 10 years has been a dream privilege for me to see the faith and boldness of our Central American staff members and to see these young people grab onto opportunities that they wouldn't have had without this mission. That's just one. There are many, many, many others doing the same kinds of work in different contexts. We're kind of rare working in juvenile prisons, but many are trying to help desperate people find their way. And I hope that our church will be a church committed to the refugee and the immigrant. Amen. Yeah. 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 Thanks, Ron. Thanks. Thanks, Ron. So we can try this one more time. Raise your hand if you want this plane landing in our town. Okay. Hey, so my prayer is that our hand, our hands, our heart, our head would increasingly honor Christ as we represent him in the, in the world. I'm going to end with one uh, quick, specific action step that will come our way. It's not quite here yet, and I know we're running out of time. I think every of these controversial topics we're tackling, there's a lot to cover, and we've not even... Uh, scratch the surface. So we are going to welcome here in Manhattan, Kansas, at least 55 Afghan refugees over the next month or so. So I'm just going to put up five of the eight key takeaways that I got on an email uh, from City Commissioner Aaron Estabrook. And th this is actually pretty exciting. So we already have an Afghan population that's been woven into the fabric of our community over this past decade. I remember meeting Afghan military at the mosque when I'd visit the mosque and having conversations with them and, and learning about their culture and language. Um, there's already an, uh, 30 organizations, 45 civic leaders stepping up to form this coalition uh, to welcome these Afghan refugees here. And I just threw our name in that hat as well. So I think that that's going to grow. There'll be opportunities uh, here in our own community. Um, a lot of this has been from the, the connection from K-State with Kabul University. And so I've been aware of that connection for these last several years. It's, it's pretty exciting to see. And then this, this statement here, Manhattan's approach to receiving Afghan allies serves as an example of living up to the ideals of America. And it goes on and says, we warmly welcome Afghan refugees into our communities, not because they are American, but because we are. And we, as the people of God, even more get to represent not just being American citizens, but Jesus Christ as we welcome. So next week, keep the heat up a little bit, we're going to tackle women in the church. We're not going to tackle <laughs> women in the church going to tackle, tackle the topic. So in the meantime, though, I encourage you, meet a new neighbor who's a stranger to you. Take that step of courage and or sign up to have an international student friend. Let me know. I would love to help connect you with an international student. And also spend some time feeling 
your own refugee status as Jesus has rescued you from the darkness that he's rescued you from. So I invite you again to stand. Uh, before we take the Lord's Supper, we, each week this uh, sermon series, we are going to together uh, recite the Apostles' Creed as we seek to, to tether ourselves to the uh, Orthodox faith that's united believers through the ages. So let's, let's say this together. I believe in God. Oh, I'm, did I miss one? Oh, I missed one in the thing. Okay, I'll say it for you. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You can have a seat. And as the band comes up, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And I will invite you, when you're ready, as we sing together, uh, we're going to come right down the middle. There'll be two lines. So we do have a gluten-free option. But as a reminder, on the day that Christ was crucified, or the day before, he, he uh, met with the disciples, and he held up the bread. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Eat of it. And he held up the cup and said, this is my blood shed on your behalf. When you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Just a reminder that Christ himself experienced life as a refugee, and he invites us to be connected to the Father through his finished work on the cross. So let me pray for us, and I invite you to take the Lord's Supper together. Lord, thank you again for the morning. Thank you for the gospel that Christ has done for us what we could never do for ourselves, that you are the way maker. And we pray that, that, that we would leave a legacy of love, and that as even as these 55 Afghans and their families or that come here, that we will be able to invest in their legacy. I think about Israel as they left Egypt, and, um, and then the legacy that many of them left. I pray that we would be able to do the same. We thank you for the finished work of Christ, for his life on our behalf, his death on our behalf, and that he will return one day to make all things right. It's in his name we pray this morning. Amen. This teaching was recorded in partnership between Tallgrass Community Church and The Well. For more resources like this, visit tallgrass.church and thewellmhk.com.